This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. I just think that we all, in addition to reading the Bible, need to also read our founding documents again. And that is becoming increasingly clear as you see what is going on across the country. All of these lawsuits that are now being filed against the government for infringing upon the First Amendment rights and freedoms of churches. And we're not talking about the outliers, like Russell Moore has said, the extreme prosperity gospel outliers who just flat out refuse to obey the law and flaunt their packed services. Most churches, as we've stressed, have been shutting down in accordance with the prudent decisions of most localities that are saying shut down for a limited period of time because we, we want to slow the spread. We all know this. However, in the First Amendment, there is also not just you know a freedom of religion and a freedom of speech, but we have the right to peaceably assemble. We also have the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. But apparently this news has not reached the Raleigh, North Carolina Police Department. Did you hear about this? They put out on Twitter one of the most, what would I say about this? One of the most shocking things I've seen a government entity say in a while. And I really have to qualify that because with the left these days, there probably is something worse out there. There always seems to be. But what happened was there was a reopen North Carolina event that took place earlier this week. There were about 100 people there. They were protesting Governor Roy Cooper's stay at home order because it prohibits residents from leaving their homes except for essential activities and bans gatherings of more than 10 people. This is pretty common across the country right now. But they're upset about it because they said this is going to decimate small businesses. And it is. We are getting to that real Really, really, I don't know, very, very crazy tipping point where we're going to have to go one way or another based on lots of data, lots of situations that are going on right now. And in response to all of this, this protest, Raleigh Police's official Twitter account tweeted out the protesters are in violation of the governor's executive order and have been asked to leave. And then they said they, they were leading a woman away in handcuffs. They had arrested at least one woman who is part of this protest. And then they said on Twitter, protesting is a non-essential activity. I think that perhaps our founding fathers would take issue with that. But if that's where we are, think about the scary implications of that statement. Think about this for a moment. Are we no longer Americans? I have said I think it is prudent to just wait in a few weeks and take the guidance of President Trump and do what we can to slow the spread. And I think Christians should cooperate with that. I have no problem with that. But it's crossing the line now. When you have church drive-in services and nobody is out of their car and everybody's sitting in a closed car with rolled up windows, nobody's interacting and the cops show up in mass to cite people and find them. That's tyranny. Sorry, it's tyranny because Christians are willingly complying in most cases. But the government 
except under really, really narrow parameters, cannot shut down churches. It's just not constitutional. And the Constitution matters, which is why I was so glad to see the U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr come out and support these churches in Greenville, Mississippi. And I'm really glad about this because this is important that the Department of Justice would stand on the side of these churches. A couple of different churches in Greenville, Mississippi, have been involved in legal action against the mayor. And there was also a government order at the state level about this. But this was from Real Clear Politics. Ancient Rome is gone and the Easter story ends with the federal authorities on the side of the Christians. The Justice Department intervened on behalf of Temple Baptist Church of Greenville, Mississippi, on Tuesday, filing a statement of interest in a lawsuit against the city. The church is suing Greenville after police officers walked car to car, handing out tickets to congregants who refused to leave the parking lot during a drive-in Good Friday service. And the DOJ is siding with the church because the allegations in the complaint strongly suggest that the city's prohibition of drive-in church services, despite the inclusion of measures to reduce risks, such as requiring people to remain in their cars, are neither neutral nor generally applicable. It's the latest in the delicate balancing of church and state during a pandemic, a consideration of government interest in combating a disease in matters of conscience. The deputy attorney general of the U.S. told Real Clear Politics the DOJ would defer to the First Amendment. And Jeff Rosen said when there is a national crisis of one kind or another, we don't give up all of our liberties. Isn't it nice to have the Department of Justice come down on the side of the First Amendment? It's excellent. Even in times of emergency, Bill Barr wrote, when reasonable and temporary restrictions are placed on rights, the First Amendment and federal statutory law prohibit discrimination against religious institutions and religious believers. Thus, government may not impose special restrictions on religious activity that do not also apply to similar non-religious activity. Now, think about this for a moment. This is the point that I want to make on this, and I'll have more to say in just a second. But think about this. Think about how tyrannical it would be if the government got to decide whether or not you could protest what it does. What if they extended the stay-at-home orders for a year? I'm being hypothetical. What if they extended them for two years? How about if they told you you have to stay in your house for the next five years, because if you don't do that, we will not be able to slow the spread. Would you just stay there and say, well, the government told me to? Or would the American in you rise up and say, no, I'm not staying in my house for five years and I'm only allowed to leave to go to Walmart? No, I'm not doing this anymore. There isn't any compelling government interest in keeping me locked in my house for the next five years. You would probably want to protest, right? And then the government put into that particular order, it's not essential for you to protest. Sorry, but for your own safety and security, you need to stay in your house. The government said so. I would think millions and millions of Americans after a year or two years or especially five years would say, no, I'm not staying in my house anymore. What are you guys, crazy? We're not going to stay here anymore. There's no reason to stay here anymore. That's where those North North Carolinians are right now because they're losing their businesses. I mean, millions of people are unemployed. How are you ever going to have a functioning society if they continue to make everybody locked down for an extended period of time? Nobody wants this virus to kill people. But at some point, you have to make a decision. 
you know what? We can't afford to lose a country in the process of fighting a respiratory illness that, yes, has killed people. And yes, we need to be very, very careful about. And yes, we need to avoid each other. And yes, wear the gloves and the mask and all the rest. That's fine. We don't like viruses. We're not in favor of viruses. But you're not going to have a country to go back to at a certain point if you don't deal with weighing these two things against one another. So Trump has been talking about the possibility of reopening the country around May 1st. He said that he believes some states will be able to reopen their economies before the end of April by lifting the social distancing restrictions. His announcement came a day after he claimed total authority over when to lift the state-imposed measures. And he said during a White House press briefing on the virus that the plans to reopen the country are close to being finalized. He understands what's going on. He understands what is at stake. I don't believe that President Trump is acting like a dictator in any way, shape or form. I think he recognizes the importance of keeping the American economy going. And no, not just because it helps him politically. I think he genuinely cares about Americans. I think he loves this country. I think he doesn't want to see this country fall apart. I don't think he wants people to suffer. I don't think he wants people to die. But can you imagine being in his shoes? I was thinking about this for an extended period of time yesterday. I thought, how would you like to be Donald Trump right now? For, for good or ill, how would you like to be in that man's shoes at this moment? You have been under absolute siege for the last several years since you were elected, and they impeached you based on nothing after goading you with all kinds of conspiracy theories that were baseless in the first place. The very people who went after him with the Mueller report, the Russia hoax, the Ukraine hoax, are people who ought to be in legal trouble themselves and criminal trouble themselves for having concocted the whole thing just to run him out of office. And then he turns around and he has this to deal with. And now the media is all over him, such that he had to fight back the other night and did so brilliantly, I think, playing the media's own clips for them and showing them how unreliable and unfair and un- completely biased they are. I would not want to be in his shoes, but I trust that his main interest is the good of Americans. I really do. I think he loves America and I think he loves the people and I think he's trying to do the best that he can. It's not an easy fix. We're going to come back, and when we do, you're going to hear from this mayor of Greenfield, Mississippi. This is incredible, some of the stuff that he had to say. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are persecuted, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's Word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, call now, 800-YES-WORD. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us. And don't forget, we are trying to get Bibles to the persecuted Christians around the world who need them desperately. $5 sends one Bible and $35 sends seven Bibles. And we are trying to really take advantage of that Bible for Bible match that will help Bible League to send God's word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today. You just call 800 yes Word. That's 800 Yes Word, or you can click on the Bible League banner. JanetMefford.com is my website. Let's go to some of this audio. You, you may be aware of what happened in Greenville, Mississippi. We have a number of things that have been going on. These were some of the churches that were affected by the restrictions, the overzealous restrictions against churches. And one of those churches was Temple Baptist Church. It's now been decided that that church won't have to pay the $500 fine that was issued in violation of Greenville Mayor Eric Simmons' executive order that restricted indoor and drive-in church gatherings due to coronavirus. Well, this mayor took to a press conference to defend himself, and he was not happy. But there's a lot to say about this particular press conference taken on by this mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. Let's listen to cut one. There have been much dialogue about Greenville City Council's order regarding church services entered with a vote of 4-1 on April 7, 2020. Recently, a smear campaign against me and the city that I love has begun. These lies about my beliefs and actions are unsubstantiated and riddled with false narratives and unnecessary attacks to suggest that I would take an action to unlawfully deny someone the practice of his or her faith is ridiculous to publicly state on media outlets and press conferences that this mayor targeting any church in this community is unacceptable and reprehensible. All right. He starts out kind of swinging there. He's very upset because he's gotten some bad publicity. He had gone on to explain the city council had passed this first order on social distancing, March 17th, mandating no gatherings of over 10. Some of the churches still had in-person church services, he claimed, and some had drive-in services. Then between March 17th and April 2nd was the date of the governor's shelter-in-place order. They said they were actively engaging with clergy on social distancing measures. And he said some churches kept meeting in person over the number of 10 and they started getting calls from around the community and around the state, around the state, because it was affecting people so much 
in other cities on the other side of the state that churches were meeting. This is what he said. And then I want you to listen to his explanation of the governor's rationale for banning drive-through church services. Cut three. Up to this point, despite the known violations, and in light of the increase of confirmed cases, no citations were issued. I continue conversations with clergy and faith-based leaders to ensure that there was clarity around the original council order, the governor's shelter-in-place order, and the Mississippi Department of Health guideline about church gatherings. Those conversations included several discussions specifically about drive-in services. Moreover, on a call with the governor, with Mississippi mayors, the question of drive-in services came up, and the governor stated that drive-in services will not work because people of faith like the fellowship. Got that? Isn't that amazing? The governor said on a call, the drive-in services for churches will not work because those Christians like to fellowship. It, that's the rationale? That's the, <laughs> that's the rationale for saying they can't get together because those silly Christians can't stay in their cars. They're just going to want to fellowship too much. Is that the role of the governorship? Is that the role of the state, the government to say, you Christians, we're going to enact a particular standard for you that doesn't apply to, oh, let's say McDonald's, where you certainly do have to roll your window down to get your Coke and your French fries, because that's essential. See what I'm saying? These people are just nuts. So this mayor said all this led up to the stricter order that was passed by the city council on April 7th, and he explicitly outlines who the target was. This is cut four. In this context, on Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, the Greenville City Council, with a vote of four to one, issued a stricter order on church services to address the influx of calls that churches were violating the first order and CDC guidelines. This order allowed for pastors and musicians and production and media teams in the churches so long as they didn't go over 10 people in compliance with the CDC guidelines and it also banned driving services. This order was put in place for the sole purpose to save lives and prevent the spread of COVID-19 specifically linked to church guidelines. On that day, the number of confirmed cases stood at 40, with two confirmed deaths. Two confirmed deaths. So you can't have church because there were two confirmed deaths. Just so you know what he's saying. Then he explains that Temple Baptist Church held a drive-in service and the cops went after them. This is cut five. On the following day, Wednesday, April 8, 2020, Officers arrived at Temple Baptist Church after several calls that it had having drive-in services. Parishioners were kindly asked by law enforcement to leave. Most members immediately left. Only those members who refused to leave were issued citations. These were the first citations issued over three weeks of defiance. At no point in time, have our officers raided or staked out any place of worship? 
All right, but here's the point. Alliance Defending Freedom, which is representing Temple Baptist Church, said that they were complying with CDC guidelines. On April 8th, Pastor Arthur Scott preached God's word from an empty church building. He's spoken to a mic connected to a low-power FM transmitter. Attendees were able to park outside the building and tune in. This was just about as CDC-compliant as any church service could be, and nobody interacted. They didn't hug each other. But as they listened to the sermon, eight uniformed police officers arrived at the parking lot handing out $500 fines. That's unconstitutionally singling out churches because you can sit in your car and roll down your window and get food from somebody, but you can't listen to a rolled up window sermon. I mean, sorry, it's just flat out unconstitutional. Now, there was another church that also took issue with this, King James Bible Baptist Church, also in Greenville, Mississippi. And uh, the mayor went after them as well. This is cut six. These incidents have been taken out of context. It is a misrepresentation of our officers. It is a misrepresentation of this council. It is a misrepresentation of this mayor. Like many of you, my family and I were very sad that we were unable to celebrate this Easter weekend in that traditional way of worship and gather together. We like the president, like the governor, and like most of you and majority of you around the country, shelter in place and watch services online due to this pandemic. This is not a time to play politics. This is not a time to inflame unprecedented and challenging times with unnecessary attacks and false narratives. The recent threats on my life, the members of my family, and law enforcement are incomprehensible, incomprehensible, hateful, and divisive in a time where we should be reunited. Okay, well, First Liberty Institute is now representing King James Bible Baptist Church, and this church has filed a federal lawsuit against the mayor and the city. You can see why the mayor's all worked up, because he's getting sued, but at any rate, he went on to make an announcement, cut seven. In an effort to move forward in a united front, the city would not require any one to pay the fines issued on April 7th for the violations of the city council order. Although I'm accused of seeking national attention by a political leader, my record is clear on my intent and love for this city. My record is clear on my unselfish concern and selfless sacrifice to serving others. My record is clear on the support of faith-based communities and serving in our personal walk with Jesus. All right. Well, again, I go back to what he had to say about the governor and the governor saying that we can't have drive-in church services because Christians like to fellowship. It's unconstitutional. That's it. That's all we're saying. It's totally unconstitutional, which is why you're having legal pushback. And Jeremy Dysover at First Liberty said, Mayor Eric Simmons' order singles out churches for law enforcement. The Constitution did not give the mayor a doctor's note to do as he wishes. Government officials cannot send in the police just because a car is parked on a church parking lot instead of a liquor store. The authority of any mayor is always subject to constitutional rights, which, as I just mentioned to you, has now been underscored by this wonderful stance of the U.S. Department of Justice. And I thought this was interesting as well. Jeremy Dice also put out a statement reacting to this press conference from the mayor. And this is what he said. Mayor Simmons was repeatedly 
pressed about whether churches who abide by CDC guidelines and host drive-in church will face the specter of the police arriving on scene to disperse those peaceably assembled in worship, rather than reassure his churches that this will not happen. The mayor reaffirmed his unlawful order, renewed the city's commitment to enforcing it, and defended the decision of police to ticket people just because their car sat on a church parking lot. The mayor continues to single out and target the churches of Greenville. And if, you know, I approach this from a PR perspective, having done PR at one point in my life, I would say that press conference didn't help you any because you came across as very defiant, as very self-serving, as very self-righteous. I'm selfless. I'm great. I'm not... There was no apology. There was no, we didn't mean to overreach. Our intentions were good. So much of this stuff could be mitigated if you just had goodwill. Really, if you just had the goodwill to reassure Christians, I don't want to persecute you. I don't want to take away your constitutional rights. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we can slow the spread and maintain the First Amendment, because that's really the desire that we have as your government. That would have solved a lot and would cost a lot less in legal fees. We'll be coming back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Thank you for being with us. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 shows us clearly the kind of mindset that we should have as Christians, not I, but Christ. I now consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, as Romans 6 says. So my life is not my own anymore. Now, what a contrast this is to the message of the world, which says we must be loved and we must be successful at all costs and that the famous are the important people. Well, who's more famous than the Lord and how can we better proclaim the mighty deeds that he has done? So we're going to talk about this today with Than Bennett, Director of Government Affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice and author of My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. Than, it's great to have you with us. How are you today? Janet, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me back. Great to talk to you again. Well, we're in a culture, as you mentioned in your book, that really is kind of obsessed with fame and success. How do you see that? What do you make of that as a Christian, the the direction that our culture pushes us in to be famous and to be important all the time? Yeah, you know, Janet, I think there's a fairly universal desire in all of us for our lives to count for something that is uh, bigger than ourselves. But unfortunately, you're right. In our culture, that largely plays out in a way where people are obsessed with 15 minutes of fame. You know, it's rooted in personal notoriety or attention. And, you know, we as Christ followers know that we should resist that temptation. And yet I think there is still this desire born at a soul level 
for our lives to count for something bigger than ourselves. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that Scripture pretty clearly tells us why we have that desire. And this is going to be surprising to some people, but I think Scripture tells us it's because we were literally created for fame. Now, I I need to follow quickly on in saying (laughs) that is uh, we have perverted the fame for which we were created with that self-absorbed one that we see all around us. And that fame uh, will destroy us. But I, I don't think it negates the truth that we were hardwired to be vessels for the fame and the power of the Almighty God. You know, you can you can think of several examples. It's it's what was promised to Abraham when, when God said he would make him a great nation, and it's what he meant when he told Joshua his fame would spread throughout the land. And then in the pinnacle story that I use in this book, it's what he meant when he asked the prophet Habakkuk to proclaim his fame during a time of calamity. So I think, Janet, that this is an incredibly exciting proposition for those of us who follow Jesus, because the the creator of the universe designed us to possess his fame and his power. But you're right, it's a tricky one in our culture, because the only way that we're going to be able to take on that fame is if we first unlearn the one that's all around us. That's the only way, Janet, that we're going to walk in the fullness of God's plans for our life. Well, I agree with you there. And I'm glad that you're focusing on Habakkuk. I actually love that book very, very much. This is a time when the Chaldeans were being used by God to punish Judah. Habakkuk was rather exasperated. And I'm wondering if you can bring people up to speed a little bit who might have forgotten their lessons on Habakkuk, what that whole uh, book is about. But talk a little bit about why the prophet Habakkuk is a really good prophet to look at when we're discussing this subject. I love that you love it, Janet. A lot of people don't uh, really know the story, but I see uh, so many parallels between Habakkuk and then the world that we live in today. And quite frankly, I see parallels between his uh, exacerbation with the culture around him and his frustration with God's absence and maybe how I respond to Habakkuk went to God with his frustration. and, And Janet, he actually blames God for being absent. He blames God for his hand being stayed, and he wonders why God is not intervening. But a couple of things happen when Habakkuk does this that I think are very instructive to how we should live today. Uh, Number one, God doesn't reprimand Habakkuk for bringing those frustrations to him. Quite, Quite the opposite. He welcomes it. He engages the dialogue. He responds to Habakkuk on the terms that Habakkuk is asking about. He doesn't shy away from the fact that there might be judgment and calamity coming, but he welcomes that relationship. And I think that's the first lesson, is that God wants that honest relationship with us. But then, most importantly for this book, Janet, Uh, When Habakkuk blames God for everything that's happening and says, God, why are you absent? God says, well, I'm not absent. I have been here all along. What I've been waiting on, Habakkuk, is I've been waiting on the vessel that I created to carry my fame. That's you. I've been waiting on you to be ready. Now, are you ready? Will you step forward? Will you carry my fame? And if you will, I'm more than ready to pour it out. Well, there's so much there that we can talk about because you're right. When Habakkuk starts out his plea with the Lord, he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? And you're right. He's very honest. He's very open and he's very flummoxed. He says, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And the Lord responds. And it's interesting because one of the things that the Lord responds with is he says, the righteous will live by his faith. But he says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. So it seems what he's telling Habakkuk is, trust me. Is that not a big part, part, would you say, of the message to Habakkuk as well? The Lord is reassuring him, trust me. You must trust me in this. 
Absolutely. And I think we have to trust him in both the judgment that may fall and then also the promise uh, of rescue that will be on the other side. Um, Habakkuk 1.5, God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days you would not believe even if you were told. And there were two sides of that promise, Janet. The first one was going to be some calamity, some judgment at the hands of the Babylonians. And then the second is this promise of rescue on the other side. The book actually closes with that very familiar refrain where God promises to place Habakkuk's uh, hind feet on high places. Yeah. But the, the pivot point in there, Janet, and, and what brings Habakkuk to a place of believing in that promise of rescue, even when he's not yet convinced of it, is this beautiful declaration that God instructs uh, uh, Habakkuk to make. It happens in Habakkuk 3.2. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And then here's the pivot point. And Janet, this is what I think we need to say today. He asked God, repeat them in our day. Amen. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember, remember mercy. And I've got to tell you, I think we're on the edge of that moment. I think we, God's people, the church, are recognizing that God is ready to do mighty things that are beyond our imagination, but he's waiting on us, the ones that he desires relationship with, to be willing to engage with him in those mighty things. Well, that is a great verse, as you mentioned, Habakkuk 3.2, and it depends on the translation you're using. I think you were quoting from the NIV, which uses the word fame, and I'm also looking, I think this is at the NASB, that says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, Mm -hmm. your fame and your work. So you're right. I think we're absolutely at that pivot point where we are right now, not just because of the pandemic that we're all sitting through and wondering about all the time, but also because of really, in many respects, the spiritual and moral collapse of the United States. Do you see a lot of parallels there between what was going on in Habakkuk's day with Judah and what's going on with us now? I really do. And I think it, the times that we're going through, Janet, I think can bring so much clarity. I'm not saying that they are you know, good times at all. It's certainly times of calamity. But I think one of the fringe benefits is that it, it gives us greater clarity about those things uh, which are lasting and, and those things that we should be aiming our lives and influence toward. And for me, it really boils down to this point. It it convinces me that the world does not need me. It needs him. But here's the exciting thing. The world doesn't get him unless I'm willing to step in and be the connective tissue between him and the world. That's the way he's designed it, because he desires relationship with me. And there are two main connections that have to happen there. First of all, I have to be connected to my creator. I have to be hearing from him. I have to be communing with him. And then I have to be connected to my culture. It's not a detachment. It's not a walking away. It's not a, a being afraid to engage. It's also not just a condemning and writing off. It's a connection so that my connection to the creator then makes a tangible uh, impact as I connect to the culture. That's what Habakkuk was. And he had to agree to obey before God poured out the promise and then told Habakkuk to make it plain, write it on a tablet so that a herald could run with it. Well, that's such an important point that you're making because it is the case that when you look at Genesis, God is speaking directly to Adam and Eve. He spoke directly to the prophets, but he allows us to be his ambassadors. That's what scripture talks about, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We represent him. We are his children by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the heirs of the promise that is to be ours when all of this is over and we inherit eternal life. But you're raising a really important question, Than, and that is how should should we live in light of what you've just said? Van Bennett is my guest. My fame, his fame is his book. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. 
Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies and the preborn call centers inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis, but our clinics need your help. Now more than ever. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. From now through April, Janet Mefford today is partnering with Bible League to send Bibles to persecuted Christians around the world. Can you help? Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Than Bennett is my guest, Director of Government Affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice. And his book is called My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. That's kind of where we left off, Than, before we went to the break. And you were talking about the fact that when we look at the book of Habakkuk and we see Habakkuk's complaints against the Lord and why aren't you acting, Lord? And we're in a time of distress and the Lord answers him. You made the point that, what we need to remember is we have to be connected to the Lord, but we also have to have connections to our culture in order to spread the gospel, in order to celebrate God's fame, as it were, to the nations. So how do we go about doing that? Yeah, I think we're just so often um, too willing to accept a narrow answer from God when he's willing to do so much more in these spaces that concern us. And uh, to me, I think I think my favorite example of this in Scripture is Genesis 18, where uh, God is telling Abraham that he's about willing, uh, ready to destroy Sodom for its wickedness. And, I, and I've got to tell you, I think if I'm Abraham in that moment, I really like this idea, because finally the power of my God is going to show up, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give that evil those evil actors, what they deserve. Judgment is going to rain down. But Janet, Abraham doesn't do that. He goes back to God and pleads for mercy. He says, God, if I can find 50 righteous people in this city, uh, will you save it? And, and God says, yes, but Abraham does, is not satisfied with that. He goes back not once, not twice, not three. He goes back six times asking God for a greater grant of mercy. And, and what's instructive to me, two things really. First of all, I so desperately want to be someone who looks at this broken culture and doesn't instinctively call down God's judgment, but asks God, how can I be a vessel of mercy in this? How can I draw others to your side through this? And the second thing, uh, Janet, is 
God doesn't walk away from those negotiations until Abraham walks away. They settle on this number of finding 10 righteous people, and if they can, the city will be saved. But God doesn't walk away until Abraham walks away. The, the, the request for, for 10 is the last number uh, that Abraham gives. So to, to answer your question, I just think we need to be a people who are willing to engage our God and asking for a greater grant of his mercy, a greater grant of time to draw people to his side. Those are the kind of people that I think God has called us to be. Well, right. And you're picking up again on Habakkuk 3.2, which talks about in wrath, remember mercy. That's exactly what, you know, he's praying for. Please, Lord, be merciful unto us. And none of us have anything without God's mercy anyway. Something else you say, Than, is we try to be famous. And that's kind of the the theme of your book, when we should long to be known. Can you speak Mm -hmm. to that issue a bit? Absolutely. I think when we try to be famous, when we take on this personal uh, idea of fame, we are looking to be recognized uh, by those around us. We're looking to be notorious when we were actually created to be known intimately by our creator and then to amplify his fame, not our own. That's the fame that we were made to take on. And, you know, I, I think this so often becomes a competition among Jesus followers. And I think this is something that we're being called out of. And again, I go back to the example of Moses, Moses and Joshua. There's this amazing story in Numbers 11 that I think maybe a lot of us have forgotten where God is pouring out his spirit on the on elders in the camp. And there are two elders that did not follow instructions completely. They stayed behind in the camp. Their names were Eldad and Medad. But God still poured out his spirit on them and they began to prophesy on behalf of the Lord. And Joshua he gets this gets this jealousy on behalf of Moses and he runs out uh, to Moses and he says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. And here's what Moses replies, Janet. And this, this actually makes me emotional anytime I talk about this. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And I think that's the attitude that we've got to have. It's not for our own visibility. It's not for our own notoriety. And if God chooses to pour his spirit out on another, well, my goodness, we ought to stand behind them and we ought to support that message. Yeah, right. Th- this ties a little bit into what you talk about regarding leadership, because you say that true leadership is about following the leader more than leading those who are following. How does that tie into what you're discussing here? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been privileged in my life to serve some of the most effective leaders I've ever known. And one of the traits that I have so consistently seen in them is a refusal uh, to keep their followers behind them. There has been a willingness uh, to say God gives different gifts to different people. And part of my role as, as a leader is to em- empower them and to embolden them to actually pass me in certain areas, to to walk in the in the gifts that God has given them to a way that maybe they do uh, pass me. And, and I think there are probably a lot of a lot of people that don't walk in that grace. I've been exp- um, privileged to be surrounded by those uh, who do. But ultimately, Janet, it comes back to this. We weren't created to be leaders. Now, we might be given leadership in some instances, but the commands in Scripture that we are given repeatedly and clearly and fervently are that we're supposed to follow hard after him. And to the extent that we do become leaders and people follow us, we're only going to lead them in the right direction if we're, we're actually focused on the one that we're supposed to be following. Well, it reminds me of what Paul said, imitate me as I mm-hmm. imitate Christ. He wasn't saying it's about me, Paul, you need to be part of my clan. He's saying, if 
I am exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and if I'm representing Jesus Christ according to his word, then you ought to do what I'm doing because I'm only imitating Jesus. But again, he's pointing people to Jesus at every turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he also said that not many of um, us should be leaders or teachers because you take on additional responsibility. I I would put it to you this way. I think God will give us as much as we can handle uh, faithfully, but if we push ourselves to the front of the line in order to be seen and we take on more than he intended us to have, that's going to come with additional uh, responsibility, additional accountability, but without additional blessing because it's not the places that God has called us. So, Janet, we need to be eager, like Habakkuk was, to step to our place on the line and to, to act in boldness and to carry out the task that God has given us. But we need to be very careful, and I would say even hesitant and, and uh, asking of God to make sure that we're not pressing ahead of Him, because we don't want that accountability if it's not in an area that He's pushed us into. Right. There needs to be that humility at all times. What about the eternal and focusing on the eternal? As we know, that is our long-term goal is we want to be with Christ. We will be in eternity a lot longer than we'll be on earth by a long shot. But you say choosing the things that are eternal make us effective on earth for the Lord's fame. How is that the case? I just think it lifts our eyes from the circumstances. You know, I think if we are able to, uh, like you said, in the moment, think about those things that long after we're gone are still going to matter and they're going to matter in the eternal kingdom. I think it frees us from some of the burdens of uh, crowd pleasing that so naturally come in. I mean, look, this this is a hard balance because you're going to get feedback based on actions in the moment that might tell you you're doing the right thing. But most of that feedback in the moment is based on how, how how people react now, how they feel right now. And most of that is lost in eternity. Uh, Janet, the things that will last in eternal souls long after we're gone, if we can think about those as we're making decisions, even if the reaction in the moment, like, like you were talking about the culture being divergent from it, the reaction in the moment may not be a positive one. But if those aren't the feedback mechanisms that we're looking for, we're going to remain steadfast anyway. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, for example, if, if you go up to the average non-Christian today and you want to talk about sin or hell or the final mm. judgment, that's usually not going to be what they want to talk about. And and yet, for all of us who know Jesus Christ, if we, nobody had ever told us about sin, hell, and judgment, would we even be Christians? We got to keep that eternal perspective in mind as we are his ambassadors. We need to focus on what the Lord says is important, and that is that he is slow to, um, you know, he wants everyone to come to repentance. And that's why he is not slow about his promises, but it seems sometimes to people that he's slow about coming back if we're waiting for Jesus to return. And some people, well, you know, you've always said he's going to come back. Where is he? Well, that's the heart of God, that he wants all men to know him, that that's the heart of it all. Amen. And we've got to be willing to look peculiar. I mean, the word tells us that if we walk in this fully, uh, the culture is going to look at at us a bit peculiar. But, you know, uh, my aspiration, Janet, and hopefully the aspiration of those listening to us is not to fit into this culture. It's to be a representative, an ambassador of the almighty God uh, within this culture. And if that means I look peculiar, if that means that I'm set apart, uh, that's that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. And if you look at the story of Habakkuk, it is actually that. That that enabled him to carry the message of God to his people uh, in a time of great need. 
Well, right. And as we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first and greatest commandment, as Jesus said, that's who we need to keep our eyes on. And that's the one whose glory is ultimately important. We don't have any glory apart from him at all. And we should be all about Jesus Christ. I couldn't agree more with you. And the name of the book is My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. That's the goal of every Christian. Than Bennett with us. Thank you so much, Than. It was great to have you back. Great to talk to you. And God bless you. Janet, God bless you. Grateful to be with you. All right. You take care. And thanks again for being with us. Thank you for joining us on Janet Mefford Today. We appreciate you and we'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford Today has been brought to you by Bible League. Help us help Bible League send the hope of God's word to 1,200 persecuted believers. $35 sends seven Bibles. And today your gift will be doubled with a limited time match. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD.